0: going to have you turn to 1 Kings chapter 11. I'm excited that I finally, finally, don't get to leave you on anymore and actually start the series that I've been wanting to start for some time now, as we look through what I've titled for this series of studies, The Biographies of the Divided Kings. So starting in 1 Kings chapter 11, we're going to look at a man named Jeroboam today. And as you're turning there you know we're coming up on the year 2020 and when it comes to elections we know what that means we know it's another very important election and and you've probably already been seeing and getting sick of the ads on television on the internet and many other places and you know people of course voice their opinions about such and such people and you know, I don't know if you've ever heard people talk about, well, you know, if I were the president, or if I were the senator, or if I were the mayor or the governor, this is how I would do things. We're going to look at a man today that actually got that opportunity. You now, it may be that we ourselves never personally get that opportunity. You know, as much as we voice our complaints about our government, you know, how often do we actually get the opportunity to be able to be put into? that place of office. And then what are you going to do? Then how are you going to handle yourself? Jeroboam today is going to be a man who realizes that opportunity. So I have you there in 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to start reading at verse number 26. And Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephrathite of Zerada, Solomon's servant, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow woman, even he lifted up his hand against the king. And this was the cause that he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built Milo and repaired the breaches of the city of David, his father. And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing the young man that he was industrious, he made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. And it came to pass at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite found him in the way, and he had clad himself with a new garment, and they too were alone in the field. And Ahijah caught, him, caught the new garment that was on him, and rent it in twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take thee ten pieces, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and will give ten tribes to thee. But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because that they have forsaken me, and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the, the, god of the children of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways, to do that which is right in mine eyes, and to keep my statutes and my judgments, as did David his father." Howbeit, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him prince all the days of his life for David my servant's sake, whom I chose, because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, and I will give it unto thee, even ten tribes. And unto his son will I give one tribe, that David my servant may have a light always before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen to put my name there. And I will take thee, and thou shalt reign according to all that thy soul desireth, and shalt be king over Israel. And it shall be, if thou wilt hearken unto all that I will command thee, and wilt walk in my ways, and do that is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee, and build thee a sure house, as I built for David, and will give Israel unto thee. And I will for this afflict the seed of David, but not forever. Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam, and Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt, unto Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Lord, I pray that you'll direct today's study as we look at this man, Jeroboam, uh, this man who you brought into existence uh, for uh, the purpose of not only the life that he lived and for the purposes that you had for him, but also that we might look at him and study him and that we might learn from his example, the good and the bad. Lord, I just pray that you'll uh, help me as I speak today, you'll to give strength to my voice, uh, that you'll strengthen my mind, Lord. Uh, help me to stay focused and that uh, your word would have the preeminence and that uh, what people remember today will be Uh, What they have learned because your Holy Spirit has spoken to them through your word And I look forward to what you'll do in Jesus name Amen Alright, so we're gonna, it's a little bit of a whirlwind tour Uh, Some of the kings, they have a lot of material associated with them And Jeroboam is one of those kings Some of them have maybe only even a few verses And when we get to those points, I'll determine what I'm gonna do But Jeroboam He has a few different chapters here in 1 Kings, and he'll be the first of the kings that we look at. Now, I could have started with Rehoboam, who is the son of Solomon, which is the successor of what will, as we'll see today, become the southern kingdom, or I'll call it the other name that it's called once we get into that part of our text, but we're going to start with Jeroboam, partly because he's actually the first one that we see in the text as you go through the, the scriptures here. So he does appear first, but in some ways he also kind of parallels the life of Saul. And Saul was, of course, the first king of the United Kingdom of Israel. And in a lot of ways, Jeroboam is similar to him, and we'll look at some of that. Uh, one of those ways is that he's similar is the fact that uh, he is not of the tribe of Judah. And of course, there was the promise that was given to David that those that came from his line would be the ones to succeed him on the throne. And reign over Israel. Well, of course, we've seen, even in what we read here, there's already been some problems, even in the reign of Solomon, that is causing God to, I don't know if you'd call it plan B, but he's, he's moving things in a little bit of a different direction. And for certain purposes, you see that in verse 33 there, uh, how God didn't want things to go this way, to, to put it that way, perhaps. The first heading I'd like to look at today is we look at this study of the life of Jeroboam is the prophecy of Jeroboam's kingdom, and that's what we've already read here in chapter 11. So under that heading, I'd like to first look at Jeroboam's identity. We see that in verse number 26. It says that Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, was an Ephrathite. Now, an Ephrathite would be from which tribe, would you say? But who has the name that's closest to that? It will be Ephraim. And Ephraim, of course, was one of the sons of Joseph, and we see his name mentioned in verse 28, but he is from Ephraim. Now, Ephraim is one of the, the tribes that actually became somewhat prominent in the life of Israel in their history, and so perhaps it is kind of fitting that if there were to be a king not coming from the tribe of Judah, that Ephraim would be... A logical choice, humanly speaking, and so we see him coming from that tribe. Also, uh, we see in verse 26 that he he had some political associations, uh, and people will talk about that. You know, somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. Well, Jeroboam was one of those people. He kind of knew someone who knew someone, and we see that in verse 26 there, where he is he he can tie his relationships to. Uh, Solomon through a servant of Solomon who is named there, Zerada. So he has ties to the, the, uh, the, the politics of the nation of Israel. And, and people will talk about that in our day today about knowing someone and the, that person has some influence and they will get you into certain positions. Or maybe in a job, somebody knows somebody that will get you into a certain position at your job. Um, there's politics, if you will, that happen even in the workplace, too. So we see him as an Ephrathite. He's also listed in verse number 28 as a mighty man. Now, you might be familiar with David's mighty men, uh, which are listed, I believe, in 1 Samuel 23, or is it 2 Samuel? I think it's 2 Samuel 23 where they're listed there. So that's specifically David's mighty men there. He is just a mighty man. And that's how he's described in verse twenty-eight here, a mighty man of valor. And we see part of how he earned that description here. Solomon seemed the young man that he was industrious.
1: You know, don't we like to to be busy this time of year, make ourselves busy? He was he was one of those kinds of people,
0: evidently that you couldn't stop him from working. You know, you, you have those people that just kind of have that ingrained in them. They it's like some people maybe at the workplace sometimes, and it's good to be able to work with those kinds of people where you don't have to tell them to do anything. They just they do their job, and when they're done doing that one job, they move on to something else of their own volition. They just keep working and working. You know, Of all the qualities that we're going to look at with Jeroboam, I believe this is actually a positive quality. The fact that Solomon saw that he was industrious. He was a good, hard worker. And that earned him... Uh, promotion at his workplace there because he then made him ruler over all the charge of the house of joseph and that word charge there has to do with the burden or the labor that they uh, of the 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 house of Joseph which would include also manasseh so Ephraim and manasseh so he had charge over all of that um, whatever they did kind of like with when joseph himself was promoted the various positions that he was put in charge of those uh, doing various sorts of labor in his time. So we see Jeroboam's identity here. Let's look at Jeroboam's prophecy, second of all, here. So we look at verse 29. First of all, we look at the rending. We see that in verses 29 through 31 here. So just to be clear here with the text, because I know sometimes when you read things, grammatically, you kind of have to think through it and sort it out. So it says that there's a a garment that was being worn. This garment is being worn by our man Jeroboam here. And that's what Ahijah taught. I mean, logically, it would seem that way too. So if I'm pointing out the obvious, I apologize there. But this is Jeroboam's garment that is being torn and then specifically torn into 12 pieces here in verse number 30. So then it's given to him that he has ten pieces, and then he saves the other two. But, I mean, you see in the later verses there that uh, he's going to allow one tribe to remain. Now, what, what, how does the math add up with all of that? Well, I'll go into some description of that in a little bit here. So this is Jeroboam's garment who's being torn as an example, as an illustration of what God is about to do here. So verses 32 through 36, this is the reasoning. This is why the kingdom is being given to him in these ten pieces, which represent ten tribes of Israel, as we'll find out. Um, as mentioned in verse 31 there, even, uh, it's representative of that. So the reasoning is listed here in these verses. And that's more or less, uh, if you go back to earlier in the chapter, you'll find out that Solomon loved a lot of strange women. And so because of those relationships... Uh, He got himself into a lot of trouble with God because they led his heart astray and led him into various forms of idolatry, and those are listed there in verse number 33. So God was upset with that, and so God then – that's why he enacted this uh, plan here with Jeroboam. He was upset with the idolatry. So you have the ten tribes that are going to Jeroboam, and then you have – one that will be given to the successor to David's line. So again, how does does that add up here? Well, uh, for those who have been students of the Bible, you'll discover, and in fact, in chapter chapter number 12, when things really start to get out of control, you'll see that Benjamin is often listed with Judah. And so Benjamin is that other tribe that's often listed with Judah. Uh, Some would say that he's only giving one tribe to David's line because they already had Judah. And so it's kind of like Benjamin is being given to Judah. So that's how you get Judah and Benjamin together. Uh, Others would say that it's because Judah and Benjamin are often so associated with each other that in some ways they're counted as one. So that's what some say about why they call it one tribe here. But at any rate, the the math overall kind of adds up. You have the ten tribes that go to What will become the northern kingdom, and then you have the two tribes that go to the southern kingdom of Judah. And and Benjamin's plot, you know, going back to Joshua's day, what they were given—Benjamin is like a little sliver that's right above uh, the the tribe of Judah's allotment there. And there are circumstances that happen in Judges chapter 20 where you know Benjamin was shrunk, shrunk down to almost nothing because of internal conflict, civil war, whatever you want to call it. And so, you know, Benjamin thus became a very small tribe. And so they kind of stuck close to Judah then. So anyhow, some in description about that. So we have the rending, the reasoning. Now let's look at the reigning. Verses 37 through 39. We see the kind of freedom that he gives to Jeroboam here in verse 37. And I will take thee and thou shalt reign according to all that thy soul desireth. You know, this, this man Jeroboam that had... You know, whatever his qualms were with Solomon, he's now given a chance. All right, do whatever you want. Now, wouldn't you love to have that opportunity? You know, if only I were the boss of this company, this is what I would do. Oh, hey, you want to be the boss? Oh, really? <laughs> and so then once you become the boss and you get to make all the rules, then uh, do do whatever your soul desireth. But it does come with a few caveats here. Verse 38 God gives him some boundaries within which To reign according to all his soul's desire And what you see there in verse number 38 You can compare that with 2 Kings chapter 9 verses 4 through 9 As Solomon is uh, approaching God for the second time And Solomon is told almost this word for word That if he will hearken to God, will obey his word Then he'll allow his kingdom to continue And so, again, comparing those two, we see some very similar things. And also notice the words here in verse 38, uh, kind of towards the the top of the verse there, and do that is right in my sight. Whenever you see the kings talked about, you're going to see a phrase that in some way says, and this king did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, or the opposite, this king did that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so this phrase is kind of a a good bookend if you want to know know, where to start and stop your different studies of these different people. Those are good little bookmarks and indicators. So be looking for that wording. We're going to come across that one more time as we look through this today. So we've looked at Jeroboam's identity. We've looked at Jeroboam's prophecy. Let's look at Jeroboam's disparity, or or rather his differences. What was it that caused Jeroboam to be... So upset with the way things were. Well, the exact reasons why he was upset with these things that are listed here, I can't really say. That's all speculation. We do see in verse 27 here, he was upset with the, the building of Millo and the, the repairing of the breaches. Now, you would think that that would be a good thing. Uh, and by the way, the word Millo there, it tra- that word translated literally means Terraces. You know, kind of like you have your house and then you have, you know, maybe your balcony or something. Or uh, uh, we have our decks on the back side of our houses. Uh, Or, you know, maybe like a little uh, garden area where you have like a little central area. uh, Something kind of like that, a terrace. So he built Milo and repaired the breaches. I I mean, uh, again, I, I would think that would be a good thing. One reason I might speculate that he would be upset. In thinking back to all of what Solomon was building, you know, he spent seven years building the house of the Lord, and a couple chapters later says, but he spent 14 years building his house and all these other things. You know, maybe there was something associated with that, why Jeroboam was so upset. You've, why have you been wasting all this time on all these other things? You know, couldn't you have put more time into the house of the Lord rather than trying to focus on your own things? Again, maybe I'm putting words in Jeroboam's mouth, but nonetheless, he was upset with the breaches being prepared. So, a second thing here is these threats perceived. In verse number 40, after now he's been given this prophecy that he's going to inherit these ten tribes, it says that Solomon sought, therefore, to kill Jeroboam. And as we looked at last week with King Herod, uh, King Herod perceived a threat to his kingdom and wanted to stamp out that opposition— and perhaps there's a little bit of that going through Solomon's mind, where you know, maybe he knows a little bit about Jeroboam and his personality and who he is and what he would do if he were king, that Solomon is not going to allow this to happen. you know. And of course, only those who were of the line of David could be true successors to uh, the kingdom of Israel. And so Solomon maybe is thinking, this isn't how it's supposed to be, and so I need to make sure that he's not going to get in the way. And of course, at the same time, Solomon has already uh, given his heart over to various forms of idolatry. So perhaps Solomon is maybe a little bit off his rocker too, not quite in his right mind, that he's going to feel threatened and feel paranoid about this situation. So we've seen all of this about the prophecy of Jeroboam's kingdom here in 1 Kings 11. Second heading here, let's look at the circumstances of Jeroboam's ascension, 1 Kings chapter 12. First thing under this heading we'll look at is Jeroboam's case. You know, I talked about having grievances with your government. This is one of those times when they're taking grievances to the government of their day. 1 Kings 12, verse number 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam. So first thing under Jeroboam's case here is the fact that his leadership is now recognized. You see in verse number three that they sent and called him. They wanted Jeroboam to, in essence, kind of be their spokesman. And sometimes that's, that's what we do. You know, We could represent ourselves with whatever our grievances. We go to our town hall meeting, and we get up to the podium or the microphone or whatever. We state our case, and we step down, and the next person goes. Well, they just said, Jeroboam, you're going to represent us. You're going to state our case for us. Now, remember Jeroboam, you know, back in chapter 11, verse 28, he had been through some of the various forms of labor that Solomon had enacted, and so he does have some firsthand experience with some of the rigors that they had to go through. And you see that grievance spelled out in verse number four there. Now this is supposed to be Rehoboam's coronation. There, it, Rehoboam is the successor to Solomon, and so Rehoboam is now being installed as the new king. And so they come to this place called Shechem, which has a lot of significance when you go back through their history. You know, Abraham has spent time in Shechem. You have Jacob who uh, dwelt there for some time. You know, In the book of Joshua, at the end of the book of Joshua, and they're committing themselves to the Lord. You know, we sang the song, Who is on the Lord's side? You know, in Joshua 24, you know, there, of course, some of you may have these plaques on your doors or in your house somewhere. You know, you know who, who will you serve? And so he's drawing the lines there. Shechem is where they made that declaration in Joshua 24. So Shechem is a very important place, and so this is where Rehoboam is supposed to be installed as the king. And we're going to see what's going to happen as a result of some of what's going to happen here. So looking at the grievance rendered in verse number 4, so they spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now, therefore, make thou the grievous service of thy father, and his heavy yoke which we put upon us lighter, and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Depart yet for three days, then come again to me. And the people departed. So, Rehoboam needed some time to think about this. And we're not looking at Rehoboam as much today as we're looking at Jeroboam's interaction. And that's kind of a whole study in itself, which we'll look at the next time. I have an opportunity, but looking at the the grievance that they have here, if you go back to first Kings chapters four and five, you see some of the hard labor and the, the thousands and thousands of people that Solomon put into his service to build some of these structures and to perform various labors for him. And you know, chapter five also talks about the they put officers over them to determine who was going to provide the king's portion for that month. And so the twelve officers had their little uh, group of people that they oversaw, and then th- that group of people then had to provide for the king. So think of it kind of like a tax. You know, we give we give taxes to our government to provide for various services, you know, for good or for evil. And you know, maybe there are things going through our minds that we think about that we'd rather not have our tax dollars going toward. But their tax dollars, if you will, their sustenance, their provision went towards providing for uh, the king and his works and then they also of course performed the labor for that so they said you know life has been kind of hard in some ways under Solomon you know not because we've been attacked by our enemies but because Solomon's just made his work really hard and you know we're, we're tired we don't want to we don't want to go through that anymore you know, whatever spin they might have put on it this is verse number four is their complaint. So, you know, also remember 1 Samuel chapter 8. We talked about that when I gave the introduction. And this is the manner of king that shall reign over you. And he will take some of you to be confectionaries and perform various services for you. He's going to take some of your substance. That's back in 1 Samuel 8, when Samuel is uh, getting on the case of the nation of Israel because they said they wanted a king. Well, this is the kind of king that you're going to get. So this is... Under Solomon, the kind of life that they experienced, they had to give up their labor. They had to give up their substance to be able to provide. But they wanted that load to be lightened. hey, we don't need to be doing these things anymore. So you know, why put all this effort into trying to continue to uh, keep things as the status quo as they were under Solomon? So to make a long story short, verses 6 through 11— Rehoboam takes those three days, takes counsel with various people, and ultimately in verse 12 we see his answer. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly, and forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him, and spake to them after the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father also chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. And of course, the the famous words that he said earlier in the chapter is that, My little finger will be thicker than my father's loins. More or less saying the same thing that he said here in verse 14. Verse 15, Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people, for the cause was from the Lord, that he might perform his saying, which the Lord spake by Ahijah the Shilonite under Jeroboam the son of Nebat. So you see also in a way here the, the free will of man and the sovereignty of God working together in this case, where the decision of Rehoboam was actually a fulfillment of what God was, uh, had intended in speaking through the prophet Ahijah here to Jeroboam, that the kingdoms would be, that the tribes would be divided, the kingdom divided. So the council is rejected. You know, he you thought it was bad. I'm going to make it worse now. One thing to note about Jeroboam here, the fact that he had been told about what was going to happen, that the kingdom was going to be divided, that the tribes were going to be split, he could have taken that opportunity at the beginning of the chapter to maybe then kind of form his own little coup and overtake the kingdom. Oh, well, it's been promised to me. Well, I'm just going to raise up my own army. We're going to go over, take Rehoboam, we're going to to set up our throne here, or whatever it was. But we see him actually being patient and letting circumstances work themselves out, which is a healthy quality to have. So he did show some trust, I believe, in what was told to him. But we're going to see later that that trust was only uh, partial, it was incomplete. So while here we do see him exercising some restraints, we're going to see him later where he takes matters into his own hands. And wasn't that kind of like Saul as well, where at the beginning he seemed like such a good choice. And then later on, we saw that maybe this wasn't really the guy that we wanted in charge in the first place. So we've looked at Jeroboam's caseless, look at Jeroboam's coronation, verse number 16. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed unto their tents. If you look back at 2 Samuel chapter 20, this is actually the exact same words that were used when, oh, golly, what's the guy's name? Uh, Sheba. Uh, he led a revolt against David and had been promised after his sin with Bathsheba that there would be these kinds of things that would happen. There would be uh, things within the family and against his kingdom that would happen. And this was one of those things in 2 Samuel 20 where they, they issued this exact same response. You know, this, this is something evidently they've been rehearsing for years and years now that they've kind of kept in their memories. So when you see those words in verse 16, that's a repeat. Of 2 Samuel 20 verse number 1 when Sheba is leading the revolt against David so in seeing here that they're kind of more addressing David, now I I know they're, they're upset at Rehoboam, this is it seems that it would be less against Rehoboam and more against the house of David as a whole that they're seeing this, I mean he is the representative of the line of David who is king so Again, that kind of my take on it is that this is less against Rehoboam personally and more against the house of David overall. And so that's why we have this split of the kingdoms here. So next we're going to look at Israel's rebellion, verse number 18. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the tribute, and all Israel stoned him with stones that he died. Therefore King Rehoboam made speed to get him up to his chariots. To flee to Jerusalem. So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. So they separate themselves fully from the nation of Israel as a whole to form their own little group and they rebel. It's kind of like, a, again, another kind of a civil war that's happening here. And what they do to this man Adoram is kind of a demonstration of their heart uh, towards the, the kingdom that was then in place. We also see here that Rehoboam is having to flee his own coronation ceremony. He's supposed to be installed as king, and instead of this grand, glorious ceremony, now he's having to tuck his tail between his legs and run out the door and find safety. So we see him running back to Jerusalem here. And then again, also notice in verse 19, it says, They rebelled against the house of David unto this day. So up to the time that this was penned, this was still true of the nation of Israel. So we see also now Israel's reception in verse number 20, that is their reception of Jeroboam. And it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. So here he is installed as the king. We also see the distinction between What is to become the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom? We see in the words there in verse 20, you have him being king over all Israel versus those that followed the house of David. So you have Israel and you have the house of David. So northern kingdom, southern kingdom, that's your division there. So if you see that terminology used, just understand that that's who we're talking about here. Israel will generally refer to the northern kingdom, whereas When you're talking about the house of David or Judah, we're talking about the southern kingdom. Uh, Verse 21 also mentions, and then I also mentioned Benjamin earlier. We see Benjamin uh, listed there with Judah in verse 21. So they are the two kingdoms that stayed loyal to the house of David. And through verse 24, we see some of what Rehoboam's thoughts were. Now Rehoboam is the one that's feeling threatened. And so he's trying to gather the nation back together as best that he can. And when that happened back in David's time, God allowed the kingdom to be able to be reunited. Whereas in this case, God said, this is meant to be, so don't even bother trying to fight. And so Rehoboam listened and decided not to pursue civil war. So verse number 25, let's now look at Jeroboam's corruption. We talk about if you were the boss what would you do, and how would you handle, handle yourself? Well, we're, we're putting him to the test now in verse number 25. So first of all, pondering upon the people, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and dwelt therein, and went out from thence, and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Notice he said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam king of Judah. You see all the the strife and the discontent and the. The, the, what's going on in these people's minds? I mean, this just absolute chaos. I mean, Rehoboam is feeling threatened and trying to take back the kingdom. Jeroboam now is feeling thoughts of, well, you know what? You know, the, people are still prescribed to go back to Jerusalem for the feast days, and if they go to do that, maybe they'll go back and they'll turn on me and they'll go back to Rehoboam. So now Jeroboam is feeling that paranoia. So notice he's saying this in his heart. He's kind of talking to himself. This is a. This is a. Jeroboam having a meeting with Jeroboam here Where he's saying these things Uh, Do want to point out verse 25 Jeroboam built Shechem So the the same Shechem so now uh, Of all the capitals that you're going to have of the northern kingdom This is actually the first of them in Shechem here So Shechem is being established as the capital of the northern kingdom here And We see where his trust now is breaking down. Whereas before he was kind of keeping his cool, he was restraining himself, not taking matters into his own hands. We see him now scheming to try to retain the loyalty of the people because of this situation of when they go to offer sacrifice. Well, if they go to Jerusalem, then that means I might not have their hearts anymore. So he's trying to to earn them back. We're going to see what he schemes out here later on. So verse number 28, you know, uh, pondering upon the people, first of all, and second of all, creating convenient calves. I had to go with some alliteration there, so pardon me. Creating convenient calves, I'll explain that as we go through this here. Verse 28, whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel and put the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. Does that sound familiar at all? Uh, Remember Exodus chapter 32, and Moses had stayed too long in the mountain. And uh, now we want not what has become of Moses. Up, make us gods that shall go before us. And so then they create, what is it, those those golden calves? Yeah. I guess they knew their history well, but he knew it well enough to abuse it in this case because now he's trying to commit the same thing that they tried to do back in Exodus 32, except this time there's not going to be any Moses to stamp them to powder and cast it out into the water and make them drink it. Now these calves are actually going to stand for some time now. My teacher in college uh, called this the calf cult. we, We talk about cults in our day and various Uh, Tenants that they have in their religion and various practices that they have well, this is the formation of that false religion here Now think about the reason why God was going to install Jeroboam in the first place It's because Solomon himself had committed idolatry and now the kingdom was being divided because of that idolatry And now we see Jeroboam committing the same sin that Solomon did In trying to retain his portion of what he had been promised, again showing his distrust in God ultimately. So, uh, again, it's just, it's sad, really. Creating convenient calves. The, The convenient part I get from verse number 28, where he's saying, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Hey, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're northern kingdom now. We can, we can have our own places to go to worship. So now guess what? Jeroboam is making the rules. Instead of going to Jerusalem, we're going to go to either Bethel or Dan. That's where That's re- uh, I think I lost the battery word. here. Yes. Oh. <laughs> All right. Continuing on here. So we have these calves being set up in Bethel and in Dan. And the, the locations of these, Bethel would be kind of on the southern part of the northern kingdom which is just a little bit north of Jerusalem. Then you have Dan, which is the furthest reaches of the northern part of the kingdom. And maybe you've heard the phrase from Dan to Beersheba, which leads all the way down to the south part of Judah. Um, you have Bethel, which is kind of somewhere in between, which is, it kind of sets the boundaries of the northern kingdom. So pretty much he's making it convenient. If you're anywhere in the northern kingdom, you can go to one of these two places. But hey, it's better than going to Jerusalem. I have two places for you to go. You know, isn't Jeroboam just the greatest leader in the world by allowing him to commit idolatry in two places rather than just one? Well, I would say no. But anyhow, creating convenient calves, now we're going to see that he's promoting a personal priesthood. And I'll explain that as well and get through the alliteration. Promoting a personal priesthood. Verse 31. And he made an house of high places and made priests of the lowest people notice this, which were not of the sons of Levi. And if you compare that with 2 Chronicles chapter 11, which is a parallel passage to this, we see in that passage, there, 2 Chronicles 11, verses 13 through 17, also chapter 13, verse 9, that he actually kicked the Levites out of their positions so that he could set up his own priesthood. We notice also in verse number 32, not only is he going to have his own priesthood, he's going to make his own feast. You know, they, they had their feasts already of, you know, they celebrated Passover, they celebrated Pentecost, they had the, uh, the Feast of Booths, they celebrated all those things. So, verse 32, Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah, and he offered upon the altar, So, the significance of the 8th month and the 15th day. So, going back, we know that the Passover was enacted in the first month of their calendar year on the 14th day. So, that's Passover. So, then we have the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, as we know it, which was meant to be 50 days after that. So, however that would add up. Then you have the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. You know, going back to Leviticus chapter 23... That was supposed to be on the seventh month on the fifteenth day. So now he's setting this up to be the eighth month on the fifteenth day. Maybe it was close to that time of year, and that's what he wanted to do. But he said, whatever it was, you know, if it was just the the dart on the calendar, as some people might do, or intentional, which I think it was here, to parallel the feast here, that he was making his own feast. So you know, Jeroboam making the own rules, oh yeah, he can make his own priesthood. He can Make his own idol worship. He can make his own feast and do whatever he wants to now as the leader. So, uh, again, in verse 23, So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. And so he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel, the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month, notice this, which he had devised of his own heart and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. Now that phrase, devised up his own heart, now, that's where I get the personal part of this, promoting a personal priesthood. You, know, you want a, a quality to associate with him. Here is the fact that he's self-willed. He, he, he's making his own rules. He's doing what he wants to do. And that's a quality, I believe, that we can learn from and not emulate. And if you know, God help us that we're not that way. God is the one that makes the rules, and we need to obey what he said. Now, That's what he told him back in chapter 11. I want you to listen to my word. I want you to obey my commandments. And now he's making his own commandments, devising these things out of his own heart. And guess what? He's going to bring down an entire nation with him, as we're going to see ultimately. So all of these things here associated with Jeroboam's corruption. You know, and, and a warning to us You know, a, a lot of this is the, the things that he put into place Is based upon things that were already existing So it's meant to kind of mirror Or kind of look like the worship that they already did You know, does that relate to us today in any way? Think about Galatians chapter 1 Paul warns about another gospel It might sound like the gospel But it's truly another gospel That That's kind of what this is here is, now you have the, the prescribed worship, and then you have Jeroboam's form of that prescribed worship, which, by the way, God calls idolatry. So, again, leaving the point here of Jeroboam's corruption, he was self-willed and did things of his own heart. So, last heading today is we look at the study of Jeroboam. We look at the prophecies of Jeroboam's destruction, beginning in 1 Kings chapter 13. First thing we're going to look at under that is Jeroboam's altar the one that he had just created with his false worship here. And behold, there came a man out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar and the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord. Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, And upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. So talking about defilement foretold, which in some ways is kind of a, a play on words, because, uh, the fact that he is even setting up his own altar is a defilement of the true worship that God had prescribed. So we're going to take those false altars, if you will, and we're going to defile those. It's kind of like they, a double negative. You know, in English they told you not to use double negatives. This is this is a good double negative, because you, uh, if you're defiling something that's false, then uh, I mean, I wouldn't take that too far necessarily if God prescribes it here, but you know, God is calling for the destruction of these false uh, these altars where they perform false worship. And we're, we see here the name of another king, Josiah, mentioned in verse number 2. You're going to see him all the way at the very end of the kingdoms. In fact, I've already preached on him sometime earlier in the year or last year. Um, Josiah, you see him in 2 Kings chapter 23. That is actually just before Judah itself goes into captivity. You know, Josiah is kind of the last bright beacon of all the kings, and he's the one that is ultimately going to stamp out uh, this false worship prescribed by Jeroboam. So we continuing on here, we see seizure withheld. So of course, you know Jeroboam is not going to take very kindly to this prophet speaking against this. Verse number four: And it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which he had cried against the altar. Saying uh, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, "Lay hold on him, and his hand which he put forth against him dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him." And maybe visualize that. You know, we know sometimes in Colorado it can be pretty dry. You know, we we talk about our skin drying up, or maybe even this time of year. You know, people tell you to wash your hands so much that your hands just get chapped. You know, you have that dry, flaky skin, and we have to put the lotion on. Imagine your arm getting becoming so dry that you can't even move it. I mean, just dried to the bone. This is what's happened to Jeroboam here. That he, I mean, we see in other places leprosy is inflicted upon people. Like you know, Uzziah was mentioned earlier when he presumed to be a priest in the house of the Lord. That wasn't his function, and God inflicted him with leprosy. Naaman, you know, when he decided to take the reward that was going to be given to Elijah, Elijah or Elisha. Sorry, which one? I think it was, was Elisha. Second Kings, right. You know, he was afflicted with leprosy also. You know, Miriam, when she spoke against Moses, she was afflicted with leprosy. And in this case, we see him being afflicted with this dryness. I know maybe uh, they would treat it as they would treat it leprosy. And you can look at the definitions in uh, Leviticus 13 for that But at any rate it, This is to the point where he can no longer Function his arm And so uh, We see in verse number 5 the sign now is being Fulfilled the altar also was rent And the ashes poured out from the altar According to the sign which the man of God Had given by the word of the Lord And so now the king is going to cry Out and ask him can you please Restore my arm and so they do That and so then upon doing that, we see the third thing under this bribery offered, verse number seven. And the king said unto the man of God, come home with me and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. And the man of God said unto the king, if thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. And he goes on to explain this because that's what the Lord had told him to do. So he's trying to butter up this prophet here. Hey, hey, you're, you're nice. to Kind of restore my arm. You know, I'm, I'm the king. Uh, you know, I want things to go smoothly for my kingdom. You know, you know, is there anything that I can offer you for? You know, you know, and be good to you in some kind of way. Well, and of course, the man of God did what uh, Elisha did back in the accounts with Naaman uh, and uh, Gehazi. I think that's what I meant to say. Earlier. So, in that whole exchange there, they refused the reward initially. So, that's what this man of God does here. You go on in further in the chapter here, and yeah, I won't go into all the details of it, but he has another encounter with another prophet where uh, he ends up disobeying his own words, which, again, is another story within itself. But uh, one thing that I would perhaps say about Jeroboam in this case, the fact that he is— being so bold as to offer this bribe is that he's actually acknowledging the true power, you know, just amidst his false worship here. That you know, God has actually shown himself to be more powerful than his false gods, and so he is acknowledging that power. So, picking up towards the end of the chapter here, we see, despite all of this, that his evil continued. Verse 33, chapter 13 says that after this thing, and that's the account with the prophet, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest people priests of the high places. Whosoever he would, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests in the high places. And this thing became sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth. So he's kind of preparing his own destruction here. By choosing to continue in his sin. If you want another quality to know about Jeroboam is the fact that he's stubborn. And wasn't that a quality of King Saul as well? What did Samuel tell him? You know, stubbornness is as iniquity. And the fact that he was, he was doing some of the same things that we're going to see in chapter 14 here. and his, his deception and his bribery. Uh, but we notice that he is stubborn and continues in his ways, despite the fact that he's been warned by a man of God here. know, there are other examples in Scripture, even kings, who, when they're confronted with the prophet, they will choose to change their ways and do right. But in this case, Jeroboam continues in his ways. Uh, and you want a parallel account. You have a, in 2 Chronicles chapter 13, Uh, There's the successor to Rehoboam. Again, Rehoboam is the king of uh, the house of David, the southern kingdom. His successor, Abijah, not to be confused with Ahijah, who is the prophet, not to be confused with another Abijah, who we're going to see very soon. Uh, This Abijah is the new king of the southern kingdom at this point in time in 2 Chronicles 13. And there, Abijah, the king, is calling out... uh, Jeroboam here for all the same things That this same prophet was calling Him out for hey look you kicked out all the Levites you have set up your own worship You've gone against the God Of our fathers but we Have decided to keep to uh, The true way And in fact this kind of created a spiritual Divide as well and that is Somewhat outlined in 2nd Chronicles 13 where if you Wanted to worship the true God you're In the southern kingdom If you wanted to worship false gods, then you went to the northern kingdom. It created that much of a split, not only politically, but also spiritually. So again, talking about Abijah, continuing on to chapter 14 here as we look at Jeroboam's child. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. It's kind of interesting to me, first of all, Abijah was the son of Rehoboam in the southern kingdom. So Rehoboam named his son Abijah, and that was his successor. You have Jeroboam here of the northern kingdom who had a son and named him Abijah. So you have two different Abijahs here, and we're going to see which one God actually honors here. So uh, I don't know if you know you, have, you get together and they you know, pick the name together. Probably not, but... Uh, Somehow, some way, they, they fell on the same name here. So, continuing on in chapter 14, we see them preparing a deception. Verse 2, And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise, I pray thee, and disguise thyself, that thou be not known to be the wife of Jeroboam, and get thee to Shiloh, because there is a Ahijah the prophet, which told me that I should be king over this people. And take with thee ten loaves and cracknels and a cruise of honey, and go to him. And he shall tell thee what shall become of the child. You, you see what's in his heart now. Uh, you know, just as you see other people when they try to cover up things that they're doing, or perhaps covering up something that they're about to do. And here, getting together with his wife, that kind of reminds me of Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, how they commune together to uh, misrepresent what they were giving to the Lord. And here we see. Jeroboam and his wife taking counsel together to disguise themselves. You know, this, oh, this prophet, it's, you know, we, we, I, I know him, but, uh, so maybe I shouldn't go, maybe you should go and, you know, dress differently, um, you know, put on a big red nose or something. I don't know, color your hair green, whatever, whatever it takes to make sure that you don't look like you're my wife. You know, maybe today we can do that, but, uh, uh. Now, not fooled, and that's what we're going to see here with a the prophet. So they were preparing a deception, but this prophet here, secondly, was granted granting clear being, being granted clear vision. You see, in verse four, Jeroboam's wife did so and arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah, but Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were set by reason of his age. This kind of also reminds me of the encounter that Saul had with Samuel, and Samuel went to go approach Saul about what he had done, uh, because at that time he was supposed to have utterly destroyed all the Amalekites, Uh, but he decided to hold a little bit back, and Samuel came down, and he said, what meaneth the bleeding of this sheep in my ears? You know, weren't you supposed to destroy everything? And then, of course, Saul goes on to try to justify himself. So, I don't know, maybe they're familiar with that part of history, and they're going to try to see and see if they can one-up that and do it better, which they're not going to be able to do, as we're going to see. But Ahijah is in the same condition as Samuel was, where, uh, because of his age, he had some vision problems. So, hey, you know, this gives us a good chance here. Maybe they're thinking that. Might might I also warn you about Leviticus chapter 19, verse 14, which talks about not setting a stumbling block before the blind. You know, maybe they didn't read that part. But God has a way of uh, pleading the cause of those who are otherwise unable to plead a cause for themselves. So we see here God intervening on behalf of Ahijah, verse number 5. And the Lord said unto Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam cometh to ask a thing of thee for her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shalt thou say unto her, For it shall be, when she cometh in, that she shall feign herself to be another woman. So guess what? The whole plot's already been spoiled, and she hasn't even shown up yet. So that's how God dealt with it. So we see Ahijah not wasting any time, verse number 6, and it was so. When Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in at the door, that he said, Come in, thou wife of Jeroboam. How did you know it was me? God told him. That us uh, see. Come in, thou wife of Jeroboam. I lost my place there. Why feignest thou thyself to be another? For I am sent to thee with heavy tidings. You know, guess what? The news that I have for you is not good. And so he's going to tell this new news. You know, just like it, you know, just like it didn't work for Samuel, it didn't work for them in this case. So he's going to, uh, as I'm going to say here, pronounce elimination. Uh, a judgment upon Jeroboam here, verse number 7. Go tell Jeroboam, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Forasmuch as I exalted thee from among the people, and made thee prince over my people, and rent the kingdom away from the house of David, and gave it thee, and yet thou hast not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments, and who followed me with all his heart, to do that only which was right in mine eyes, but hast done evil above all that were before thee, for thou hast gone and made thee other gods in molten images, to provoke me to anger, and hast cast me behind thy back. Tying all the way back to the First Kings chapter eleven, when he told him, "This is all you need to do. You know, I'll let you have free reign of the kingdom as long as you obey my commandments." But guess what? And you see that phrase again at the end of verse number eight: "To do only that which is right in mine eyes." And again, a, a phrase being associated with the kings quite often here. He had that opportunity, and he spoiled that opportunity because. He decided to do things his own way and follow his own god, and we see what the constant. We're going to see what the consequences are going to be because of that. We've already seen some of it, but uh, let's look at the rest of it here. And, and if it weren't bad enough that he said you didn't do that, which is right in my eyes, you even went above and beyond that by being so evil that you're going to make these golden calves and have this own. Idolatry that you are going to make why did I even try to put you there in the first place because Solomon was an idolater And you decided you were going to do the same thing. Now. What what good does that do? well I digress Verse number 10 therefore behold I will bring evil upon the house of jeroboam And will cut off from jeroboam What it says there and him that is shut up and left in israel And will take away the remnants of the house of Jeroboam, as a man taketh away dung till it be all gone. You know, just like a person on the path picking up after their dog, that's how I'm going to clean up after your family here. And every one of you is going to be picked out, and I'm going to deal with you. So he, again, verse 11, talking about the manner in which that's going to happen. So he had the ability and the choice to do the right thing, and yet he chose not to do that, and now he's seeing the judgment of God and how it's going to play out in his family's life. Now, it's going to take some time for all of this to ultimately be fulfilled, but God, make sure God will keep score and do what he promises to do. And in fact, in verse number 14, we see some foreshadowing for the the northern kingdom as well. Moreover, the Lord shall raise him up a king over Israel, who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam that day, but what? Even now. For the Lord shall smite Israel as a reed is shaken in the water, and he shall root up Israel out of this good land which he gave to their fathers and shall scatter them beyond the river because they have made their growth, provoking the Lord to anger. And he shall give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who did sin and who made Israel to sin. You know, be careful of your example. We see in this case with Jeroboam that Jeroboam's sin led to national sin, which led to God ultimately sending the whole northern kingdom into captivity. The the whole nation had to suffer because of Jeroboam's choice. So beware of your example. Last thing we'll look at, if there's any kind of a silver lining to anyone's story who's had an evil reputation, this would be it. Verse number 12. Arise thou therefore, get thee to thine own house, and when thy feet enter into the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel and the house of Jeroboam. know what's the legacy of Jeroboam? You know, we see his stubbornness, we see his lack of trust, we see his self-will. And the, the one good thing, perhaps, that we see is the fact that his his child, who's going to perish here, is that they, they're going to mourn him. And because that child was not old enough to know good or evil, it, he didn't have the uh, ability to be able to choose as he did, Jeroboam. And, you know, like we talk about, uh, maybe you've heard the phrase, the age of accountability. You know, that that, age, that time in a person's life and ultimately... God holds that person responsible for the choices that they make. Uh, that child, uh, in Jeroboam's case, had not come to that point. And, you know, we're, we're going to see, I believe, Jeroboam's child here in heaven, the way that God talks about him, saying that there's found some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel in this child. You know, uh, what good things could you say ultimately about Jeroboam? The only thing would be that at least one of his children did not have to perish in the same way that the rest of his family is going to have to perish. You know, so while we may have seen a man who had a, a good industrious work ethic, you know, we saw someone who did exhibit some trust and some restraint, we see ultimately that he exercised deception, he uh, presumed under false motives, he was stubborn, uh, self-willed. This man, Jeroboam, you know, be careful these things are written for our admonition and for our learning that we might learn from his example so that was that that's what we can learn from as we come from this study today so as we close you know just consider to yourself what you know what good qualities can I emulate that I can implement into my life that I can become a better servant of God you know what bad things can I learn from from the life of Jeroboam that's I can learn from and hopefully not make those mistakes. Am I self-willed? Uh, am I uh, exhibiting some lack of trust in God? Am I trying to do things my own way? Now, do I have ulterior motives in things that I'm trying to do? Am I uh, handling myself in that kind of way? So let's guard our hearts and let's seek the Lord. Let's, let's focus on the good and try to eliminate the bad here.